You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And belly up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name's Chris. He's Ed. We're sitting here in my basement. We're talking White Sacks. For fans, by fans, 30 minutes of sacks all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solution. You heard that ad at the beginning of the show, and Family Waterproofing Solutions takes money off when you mention sacks in the basement. So anything you need done to keep water out of your basement, protect the foundation, take care of anything from seepage to bowing walls, you name it, they handle it, they clean the gutters, everything. They are highly rated, and I just got a message, like, like a couple days ago, like just sent through our social media. Somebody DM'd me and was like, "Hey, I use Family Waterproofing Solutions," and they told me how much money they got off, and I was like, "Really?" Like, I, I figured they're giving like like a small. That was a deep discount, Ed, and the guy was like super excited about it. I've never met him before. He's like, "Thanks for uh, telling me about it." And I'm uh, well, thank Family Waterproofing for for doing such a great job. Reach out to them 24-7, 365. They are available to you. 708-330-4466. See what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. Thank goodness for Detroit Tigers baseball, right? Oh, my. Well, or lack thereof. <laughs> I, whatever you want to call what the Detroit Tigers are doing professionally these days. <laughs> I love how they had a team meeting. What were you going to talk about? The fact that you weren't built to win this year? Like... You're supposed to lose. Like, that's the thing. Like, they're not a completely formed team yet, but they're having team meetings. And I, I thought it was funny that people that are big Tony LaRusso supporters going, well, look what A.J. Hinch is doing. A.J. Hinch doesn't have the talent on his team that Tony LaRusso has. If you gave A.J. Hinch a fully formed team, he'd be doing better. But they had a team meeting, I guess. Well, and I think that's actually a shot across the White Sox bow there. You know, that's a, that's a little crack at the Sox because... That, to me, is the Tigers sitting there saying, we know we're not supposed to compete for the division this year, but how did we just get beat up that badly by that team? <laughs> and that's where that's kind of where I took it, but I'm starting to become that jaded, pessimistic guy that, that you know, just thinks that the season is a disaster. You can check out what I wrote on SoxOn35th.com for more there. It is refreshing to see the team come around, though, and at least do something that we expected them to do, which is beat up on lesser teams, right? That, that, that's a given when you're good. The Yoam Moncada 5-for-6 effort in Game 3 against Detroit was the most important thing that happened to me because you need him to hit. Oh, yeah. I love the Jake Berger story. Uh, if you missed his fiance on our last program, remember uh, all of our shows are available on demand anywhere podcasts can be found and always at SocksInTheBasement.com. Jake's been on before, and his fiance was talking about the proposal and what it's like and their, and their life behind the scenes and White Sox wedding season, and I just thought it was kind of a fun interview. But I, as much as I like Jake Berger, Yoan Moncada hitting is big because he brings a glove that Jake doesn't have, okay? I mean, I, I love Jake, but Yoan Moncada's uh, just an all-star defensive caliber third baseman with the glove, and if the bat comes around, that's what you need to have happen if this team is going to go anywhere. If they're going to turn this thing around, that was big. And to see his attitude, we've talked about this recently, how it, we perceived, especially after Ozzie Guillen's comments about how hard he's been taking this season, that he was in his own head. And all he needed was a game like that, and it finally happened. Yeah, it's it's a, a lid lifter, so to speak. I mean, 
to take it into you know sort of the everyday world, right? You have a series of bad days, you have a series of bad days, and then there's an extra donut in your box, right? And, and, and all of a sudden it's like, well, maybe things aren't so bad. Maybe I'll go to work today and things won't be so bad. Or maybe I'll go home tonight and things won't be, be so bad. Or whatever, whatever's bothering you, okay? That's what Yohan Moncada was going through. He was a donut short in his box <laughs> for so many weeks. It's the most absurd thing and I've now, ever heard. And now he goes to Detroit. He gets, he gets more than a baker's dozen. He gets 14 in the box. <laughs> and he's sitting there going, you know what? Life is good. I can do this. And now the, the hope is that he goes through and takes it into the next series. Eh, you know, he's not going to go five for six because not everybody throws out what Detroit throws out on the mound. But he's definitely going to, uh, you know, if this is it, if this is the thing that kind of turns it around for him, we'll know. We'll know right away because he'll be competitively in every at-bat from here on out. I'm pretty much convinced that I'm not the only person right now who's picturing Ed opening up boxes of donuts in the morning and screaming that he didn't get enough. Like, that was that was an all-too-real comparison. Like, how many times have you been shorted a donut? Like, I'm concerned. <laughs> Where are you? Where are you going to get your baked goods from? Don't worry, me, me and the donut people, we got an understanding now. I know you're talking about being negative and that you're getting a little pessimistic. I see positives, and I'm going to explain why. First of all, if I just take two weeks of this season, where the manager grossly undermanaged the team, not all the criticisms we have for Tony Larusa, but just these two weeks, and I'm talking about the week where they went 0 and seven when they went on the road where everything just fell apart after the the very beginning of the season, where we had already broken it down on a show before, where I said at absolute minimum, there were two games that he lost them, right? They had two and five minimum. They could have gone three and four. They could have gone four and three, but he clearly lost two games with poor decision-making. And then I look at the week right before this Tigers series that just happened, where he blew the last game of the series against the Dodgers. It's clearly on him. It got national attention. And the way that he handled the series against the Rangers, you have to put at least one of those losses on him. Just take those four losses, Ed, and change them to wins. And the White Sox right now, instead of being still trying to get above 500 and stay above there are 34 and 27 by adding four wins and subtracting four losses from their record. 34 and 27, nipping at the heels of the Twins and one better in the loss column. So even with a negative run differential, the team is in a position right now where if he could just get out of his own way, they have every capability to catch up and have a great second half of this season. My dad said something the other day that I laughed at. He's like, think about all those years where the White Sox would jump out early in the lead, and then all of a sudden, here would come the Royals, or here would come the Twins, or here would come the Tigers, or here would come the Indians. And they had been sitting back there, just sitting around 500, and they just turned it on because they had so much talent, and we ran out of gas. And that's what his hope is, that we're that team this year. And I think there's a possibility because, really, you could take out just those four games. You could just take out those two weeks and where the manager got in the way. And it's a much different picture, even though they have been struggling offensively. And, and you know what? It's not hard to imagine when you're hearing Tony talk about how the analytics guys helped him with this and the analytics guys helped him with that. And I take that as somebody took the lineup decision away from him or they're at least heavily influencing how things are going over the last couple of days. Well, there's that. And there's also little things like, for example, Lance Lynn comes back, clearly gets upset at infield positioning because he goes after Joe McEwing in the dugout. And what do, what do a starting pitcher and the third base coach have to talk about, really? 
And after the game, when asked about it, you know, we've been conditioned to hear Dallas Keuchel talk about how, you know, if it wasn't for his infielders, he'd be the best pitcher on the team. And instead, we get Lance Lynn talking about the differences between steak and potatoes and, and you know, who's right, him versus the guy that wants the Caesar salad on the side. And he just thinks he's right and Joe's Super Joe's wrong. And you get something like that, and it's like, okay, that's how, that's how a team gets past adversity. They walk in, they talk something over, somebody catches it, asked about it afterwards, it's like, yeah, it was nothing. And that's all it was. And then he just, because he's Lance Lynn and he's awesome, he threw in something completely and totally unnecessary and hysterical to make it even better. But that, too, I think is also a reason for hope, is that somebody like Lynn coming back, who is very much driven to win and is going to be a stabilizing force potentially, uh, you know, when they get Tim Anderson back, that's going to only help the infield situation, especially if Danny Mendick stays hot. Getting Aloy Jimenez back would be nice, but I'm not holding my breath. And then even, you know, yeah, I, I, we can talk about how Liam Hendricks goes on the IL with forearm strain and then proceeds to talk about the fact that he's been pitching with a UCL tear for, what, since it's 2008 he said he got it, and now it's 2022. So you do the math. But that type of stuff, I mean, there's going to be this forward-backwards, I think, with the injury stuff, but you're right. The talent on this team is undeniable. And going back to Yohan Moncada, he settles up third base. Jake Berger gets a chance to spend more time at DH, maybe spelling at first, maybe you know, a few innings here and there at second. And that right there stabilizes the lineup even more because now Andrew Vaughn can go back to doing what they wanted him to do, which is moving around in the outfield, moving around on the infield, spelling Jose Abreu at first base, and we don't have to worry about that. And if that's the analytics guys in whatever Tony speak that is, or if it's just simply saying, look, we managed to find the nine or ten best position players on this team and we're going to rely on them through the second half of the season and watch it go. All right, Michael Suero's coming up here in just moments from Saxon 35th to talk minor leaguers. I think I want to focus a little bit on pitching with him and bullpen because I look at this 40-man roster right now and I see an awful lot of guys that are being held on the 40-man roster by the White Sox that don't seem to be doing very well and I don't see how they help you this year. And I'm wondering if we can get another left-handed pitcher up here to help out Tanner Banks and maybe jettison Jose Ruiz into the sun because I'm not happy with any guy who comes out of my bullpen with a 1.732 whip. Okay, I, that that is unacceptable at this point in the season. I know he had a like a spark last year. So let's ask Michael about that as he comes up here next. This is Socks in the Basement, found anywhere podcasts can be found, and always at SocksInTheBasement.com. Ed, Cork and Carry at the park is the spot. Am I wrong about that? You are not wrong, sir. No, that's that's the spot. I mean, you got the award-winning burgers. You got great food that comes out there. Every time I get there, I'm going to tell you this. It's a welcome part of my experience when I go down to the ballpark because I'm not getting just reamed with the price of food. I mean, it's getting silly how much it costs for a family of four to go down to a, a ball game. And I, I got a family of five, but you could bring the little ones in, sit down, get some great Great food, all the ballpark favorites, and more at Cork and Carry at the park pregame. Get over there postgame. View the, the game from Cork and Carry, even the road games. In fact, when the White Sox are on the road, uh, non-Sox home game Mondays, two-for-one burgers for anybody that stops in there at Cork and Carry at the park in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd and Princeton. And then do not forget... 
their traditional Irish bar, the original Cork and Carry in Beverly, 10614 Southwestern Avenue. Learn more, book an event, have it at either location, corkandcarry.com. Join us on the phone line right now from Sox on 35th. Let's talk with Michael Suero. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well, Chris. How are you? I'm, I'm doing good. Uh, so before we get into what's going on in the minors and uh, a roster crunch that I see coming, and, and and I don't understand how they're using their 40-man roster right now. We'll get into that in a moment. But before that, let's go to Jose Ruiz, uh, one of the focal points of, of guys that we're looking at today on this roster. Here's a guy with a whip of a 1.7+. plus. He's a guy that I could see, if everybody's healthy, should be DFA'd. He should be just let go into the wind. You can get a million of him. Why are the White Sox so enamored with Jose Ruiz? You know, I've been kind of asking that question myself. Um, I guess he, he throws hard. I mean, that that's the only thing that you got. But you can, like you said, you can find a million relievers just like him. You know, he's not pitching well this season. I mean, last season, yeah, he had a solid ERA. But if you look at his splits in low leverage versus high leverage situations, I mean, yeah, he could come in in the fourth ending and, you know, pitch mop-up duty without making the damage worse. But the second you throw him in the seventh or eighth inning in a close game, he faltered. So I, I don't get why he's on the roster. I think there's a couple guys, at least in AAA, or some guys that you can go out and sign or trade for that would be much better in that role than him right now. You know, the interesting thing about how the White Sox used their 40-man, and it's strange to me, is they, they are still using it like a team that's building. You get a team that's in a rebuild, you know, let's let's pick a team right now that's been floundering that I know a little bit about. I used to live out there. I help out a friend of mine who does a, a Pittsburgh Pirates podcast, uh, the Pirates, who are trying to find diamonds in the rough and build their team. And they will go out, use their 40 man in a way of like protecting guys, get a guy in a 40 man that otherwise would be just out there and then hope that you can develop him. The Sox have a bunch of pitchers right now on the 40 man that I think you could just let go of anytime you want to. And they only have one left-handed pitcher available right now in the major league roster and nothing to go to down there. Who are they holding on to that's dead weight in your opinion? And who should they be looking at right now in the minors? Yeah. I mean, they got, you know, guys like Johan Ibar and Anderson Severino. Severino, I think they picked up during the off season on the minor league contract. Those are types of pitchers. They have some, they have good stuff and they got high upside, but you look at their numbers in AAA, the BRAs are like the fives and the sixes. And at, like you said, we're, we're not a rebuilding team anymore. We are a team that's our window is open right now. So is it really worth it to hold on to some of these guys so that maybe they can turn to something down the road? I don't think so. Uh, I think there's a couple guys down in AAA that are pitching better than them. Specifically, we have a couple lefties down there that are pitching better than them, and I think that they make a lot more sense for the roster right now. Who would you go and get? I mean, because I look at a guy like Ibar, Bilas, Markle, and Severino, plus Souza, just as bad. Basically, if you don't like Bennett Souza and what he does on the mound, he's Ruiz. <laughs> their their stats are the almost exactly the same. The amount of innings and how many guys they put on base per inning. They're, they're, they're the same guy, just one, one throws lefty and one throws righty so far this year, okay? So if you, if you don't like that option down there and you look at all these guys that are sitting in, in roster space on the 40-man that are pitchers, and I say, okay, I'm going to pick two of them, any two of them, and I'm going to fire them into the sun, Tell me about some lefties that you like down on the minors and what they're doing right now. Yeah, well, first of all, it doesn't even matter if Sousa's a lefty, as we uh, as we have learned these past couple uh, games. 
But uh, in terms of pitchers, I'd call up right now. We've got two lefties in AAA that are both pitching really well. One is Hunter Shriver, who we actually traded for back in, I think, 2019. I forget exactly what the trade was, but he's got some pretty good stuff. Uh, he took a little bit to figure it out once he hit the upper minor leagues after we traded for him. But, I mean, this year so far, he's got like a – he's averaging over 10 strikeouts per nine innings. He's got an ERA that's mid-threes, so it's, it's good enough. Walks he, – he's only walked one guy in the past 12 innings – so, and control was something he was struggling a little bit with the past couple of years, but he seems to have figured it out right now, and he is just on fire so far. And then the other guy is probably someone that's going to be lesser known to most casual White Sox fans. His name is Zach Muckenhurn. Definitely won an award for most interesting name on the roster, but he's another guy, another lefty that's pitching lights out right now, averaging nine and a half strikeouts per nine innings. ERA is one point six six. And I think his advanced metrics have him regressing a little bit, but still pitching pretty well. He's limiting his walks as well. I mean, both those guys, I feel like, are much better roster, or roster fits than some of these guys that they have on the 40-man right now. Michael Suero and every guest we have on Socks in the Basement brought to you by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure, Visit the village of Lamont, shop, dine, drink, explore, and check out this weekend a bunch of events, including Father's Day at the Forge, beautiful views, a steak, all the fixins, a drink for dad in his hand. Find out more and check out their schedule of amazing events. Plan your next day trip at LamontDowntown.com. You know, you you watch these guys down in the minors. Uh, you know, I try to glance down there. We've had others that that follow the the minor leagues on this show before. Uh, and, and one of the things that I think I've noticed, especially not just in, in my fandom, but over the last four years or so that we've been doing sacks in the basement and talking to so many different people that cover the team, is that the one position that is fleeting, let's say, is relief pitcher. It, it, you, you can find relief pitchers. Guys can have a good year to year and a half and then all of a sudden regress back to being bad again. You can have guys that all of a sudden get hot and that's the time to use them. I mean, they are they're not the best pitchers on your staff. Otherwise, they'd be starters. OK, I mean, even guys that become really effective relief pitchers at the back end of games. Originally, people thought they were going to be starting pitchers that went six, seven, eight innings. They, they couldn't work that out, so they changed what they were because they first failed at something else before they got there. So to me, and I don't know what you think, fill me in here, but to me it seems like you go with the hotter hand. If you got a guy going well in AAA and he's getting outs, and you've got guys that are struggling in the majors, especially if they're not somebody with a long track record, you go, okay, we got the best we could out of this guy. Now let's get as much as we can out of this other guy who's red hot before he regresses, or maybe he actually becomes something that's really good that that has a, a very good career in the majors. Do you think I'm off when I look at it that way when it comes to relief pitchers? No, not at all. Like you said, you play the hot hand. Relief pitching is pretty volatile. I think we've all kind of seen that and especially for a contending team, don't you want the best guys in your bullpen right now? I mean, also, think about it this way. We're heading towards the trade deadline. Don't you want to see if one of these guys can fill that need right now before you go out and trade prospects to fill that need outside the organization? I don't know. It, makes, it just makes too much sense to give one of these guys a shot right now. Also, you got a guy who I think they originally thought, here's a guy who can be brought up 
and start some games, but I think he looks great in the bullpen role, and that's Jimmy Lambert. I mean, Jimmy's been on this show before uh, when he was down in the minors. We always kind of pictured him as a starter. I think the White Sox did as well, but man, he, he looks like a guy that could stick in the bullpen uh, for a while. I, I, I can see him being left up in the majors before, like if it were my team, he would be on this major league roster when everybody gets back and health and is healthy, I still think there's room for him. Uh, with the if you even if you go down to 13 pitchers and 13 players, I think there's a spot for him down the stretch if he keeps pitching this way. Do you think he's more suited for the uh, the bullpen? I, I definitely do. I mean, some guys their stuff just plays up when they don't have to pitch as many innings. I mean, th- this is a bit of an extreme example, but Liam Hendricks started his career as a starter. Look what happened to him when he moved into the bullpen. I'm not saying that. You know, Lambert's going to turn into Liam Hendricks, but he seems to have found a pretty solid role for himself in the bullpen, and he's someone that can cover a couple innings at a time if he needs to. He's pitching better than a lot of other guys on our roster right now. I completely agree. Let keep him on the roster and let him earn a regular spot in this uh, on this roster. Uh, we've been trying to come up with a name for like a minor league segment to do here regularly. Uh, Ed wants to do corn in the basement. Some kind of like playing off the farm. I think it's stupid. What do you think? <laughs> I actually like it. Corn in the basement. <laughs> uh, man, there's two votes for it. I'm getting outvoted right now. Michael Suero from Socks on 35th. Check out all of his work there at SoxOn35th.com. You'll hear him pop up here on Socks in the Basement regularly. We're going to talk to him a lot as we get closer to the MLB draft and as we go through this season towards the trade deadline because you're going to want to know about some of these guys. Like he said, some of these guys may need a shot up here in the majors, especially now with so many injuries to your bullpen. Let's see what they have or they might be a trade piece. You kind of want to know a little bit more about them. We're going to be checking in with Michael uh, a, a little bit more, I think, over the next couple of months just because I think this is a good place to focus on while you're still looking at the big league team, try to pull themselves out of this hole and get back into contention. Mike, thanks so much. Awesome, Chris. It's always a pleasure being on the show. Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Congratulations to our last guest before Michael on the last show, Ashlyn Carmella, just posting while we're sitting here talking uh, and recording this podcast. She posted Jake Berger at the rate. So I I think this is a few days old because they're on the road right now, if I'm not mistaken. At the rate, hitting a baseball that explodes into blue dye and announcing that Jake and her are expecting a baby boy. That just happened on Twitter. Oh, Awesome. That, that, yeah, that, that that's wonderful news. Yeah, they're the love story of the South Side right now, aren't they? 
Like, I know, they, and they should be. I, I'm hoping there's going to be a movie made about this at I some mean, point. Think about this. She knows nothing about baseball. We heard that on the show. Uh, he He's a guy who you didn't expect to make the major league roster. He gets up here. He fights his way through a manager that just won't bat righties against righties and lefties against lefties. And he finds a place because he's just one of the best bats that the team has at a moment. And I feel like he's solidifying some sort of spot. I mean, even if Moncada starts hitting, I'd hate to have him not on my bench. I'd hate to have him not as an option to spell guys and still keep a good bat in the center of the lineup. Okay, as long as he's hitting, just like with Danny Mendick, as long as Mendick is hitting, these guys need to be around because that's how you turn this thing around. I mean, when Tim Anderson gets back, Danny Mendick should be at second base. No ifs, no ands, no buts about it. You're probably DFAing Harrison because there's no way the White Sox are going to admit that three years and $16.5 million of Larry Garcia was a mistake. He had, what, a good game in there over the last three days? So he's red hot now. You know, he got in there. And made, right. He struck out against a position player on three pitches. But he also he also did a few positive things recently. So they're, they're not moving on from him. But I would think that he's gone. Like I said, I would keep a guy like Jimmy Lambert over Jose Ruiz when the roster crunch occurs. You look at this 40-man roster, Ed. You got so many guys on the IL right now. You're carrying only 12 position players and 14 pitchers. You're giving Tony a short bench so he can't screw it up. And I think there's some guys that are about to be jettisoned into the sun. Anybody else leave this team other than Harrison when Anderson gets back in your mind? Let's assume that you don't have any spare minor leaguers sitting around on the bench in the position player arena and you don't have an extra pitcher sitting around that you're not going to use then yeah, I, I think the only choice is to basically sit there and say goodbye to Josh Harrison because Mendick is out playing him. Uh, so it doesn't make sense to send Danny Mendick down and keep Harrison up. I know he's a popular guy in the clubhouse. He's a veteran and all that stuff. But to keep him around at the detriment of the team when the guy's just not hitting, he's just not performing, doesn't make a lick of sense. So I, I think it's got to be him. I agree with you. They're not ready to give up on Larry. And the only other thing I could see happening that keeps Harrison around is if somebody else has developed some sort of an injury. So you have an A.J. Pollock hamstring again or something along those lines where they're just playing the I.L. game and one comes back, one goes down. Well, they always do this, though. They, they, they hate to let guys go. The DFA is a hard thing. For uh, for Rick Hanna to do, he does not like to designate anybody for assignment that because he's giving up on the person. They're out in the waivers and he wants to hold. And sometimes we've talked about this before. They keep guys on the major league roster because they don't want to lose the option of keeping them around. And that's fine when you're winning. It's fine if you were like neck and neck with the twins, but you have ground to make up. And the best 26 guys have to be on the 26-man roster. In my opinion, going forward, you cannot play games. You can't play games with, we don't want to lose a Jose Ruiz, so we're going to send down a better relief pitcher if a crunch occurs in our bullpen. No, you keep the best pitchers up now because you can find a guy who's one year with a good whip and one year with an atrocious one. One, one game he's good, one game he's bad. There's relief pitchers like that everywhere you go out and get them anywhere you want to there's a just a just like a bucket of them just sitting outside of every team and they're waving them constantly from this team and that team so I I I think that the team now has to look at who are the best 26 those are the only guys that are on the roster that's how championship teams operate it's time to start operating like a championship team I was looking at the uh the OPSs of this team and the splits which I love to do from time to time 
And I am convinced that the White Sox, with just the exception of Yohan Moncada, who we finally saw a spark from, they're back against left-handed pitching. In fact, I would say against left-handed pitching, uh, when you add up the slugging and the on-base percentage to get the OPS, this may be the best they've ever been over the last couple of years against left-handed pitching. And that's that goes that's their full stats from the beginning of the year, even with the offensive downturn of this team. They are really killing left. If you are an opposing manager, never send a lefty against the White Sox, Ed. Well, and we've known that, although you have seen situations where, like in that Rangers series, Colby Allard comes in in, in extra innings and somehow manages to escape. But, yeah, if you're throwing a lefty starter against the White Sox, you can pretty much just expect pain to be the result, I think, at this point. <laughs> now, look, against- Mr. T predicted it in the 80s. He predicted pain. Now, against right-handers, that's where it becomes intriguing. And I'm curious as to what the analytics guys will tell Tony moving forward. You have four guys that are above average OPSs right now on the season. Just four of them. Everybody else is below average. Nobody's average. Okay, nobody's average. There are four guys that are above what the league average normally is. And they are Jose Abreu up to 781, which is he did that last year. Jose Abreu is exactly where he needs to be, even with the slow start on the season. He's on fire right now. Okay, yeah. everything yeah, he, he, he's him. catching up to his numbers. Right. Tim Anderson, when he's healthy, he is at an 814 so far on this season. That is better than his career average, better than last year slightly, definitely better than 2020 when he was tearing it up, but uh, he didn't do very well against righties. He's looking good. Andrew Vaughn can play against anybody, Tony, because 935 against lefties and 837 against righties. And actually owning, at this moment, the highest OPS on the team against right-handed pitching. Okay, that's why that guy plays every day. And Danny Mendick, 792 is one of the top four. Again, why you can't you can't sit him down while he's hot. I, I don't care if he regresses back later. You play the hot hand while you have the hot hand. He should be at second base every day. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.